podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Wisden Cricket Weekly Podcast in association with Charles Tirrett. Christmas has come and gone, but you can still use the code WISDEN22 to get 20% off at Charles Tirrett. So check out their website for their range of polo shirts, knitwear, outerwear and much more. Anyway, on with the show. I hope you've all had a lovely Christmas. This is our last episode of the year. As ever, we'll be running through the big stories from the last week, which includes a handful of test matches, a couple of England squads and an IPL auction. We'll also be sharing our moments of the year as we look back an extraordinary 12 months in English men's cricket in particular. I'm Yazran and with me today is Mark Butcher, Joe Harmon and Phil Walker. Phil, did any of your Christmas presents top Dan Lawrence's return to the England Test Squad for that tour in New Zealand that's coming up soon. All, all my dreams came at once. Yes, that. But I'm, I'm delighted for him. He's gonna he's gonna enjoy his little pay packet and wearing a fluorescent bib for a couple of months. You know, and look. In all seriousness, it's I'm quite surprised, but sort of thrilled for him really because I didn't think he was quite so near to the inner sanctum. I thought that his his stock may have fallen somewhat. Uh, so now that was a joyous Yuletide result for, for me um, and for the boy himself. He, he does play in a very Stokesian kind of way, I suppose. There's a bit of dash and devil about him. So perhaps it's not quite so unusual a, a selection or left fielder selection as it may have initially appeared. Uh, I can imagine that the selflessness of Dan Lawrence and the and the cocksureness, if that's even a word, of Dan Lawrence may well appeal to this to this new, new broom. Uh, but we shall see. But certainly... That perked me up in the build-up to our Utah celebrations. Yeah, very much mm. so. <laughs> There'll be people wondering that, you know, he didn't have a very good year for Essex. He had a couple of injuries. He didn't really seem that close to the squad. But that Caribbean tour isn't actually that long ago. And he would have shown the people, Stokes in particular, um, something that I'm sure they'd, they'd have liked. But there's no Rahan Ahmed in the squad. He obviously had that amazing debut a week or so ago. He's been stood down as England manage his winter. He's due to play in the new UAE-based T20 league in January. And there's a decent chance that we picked in the England white ball squad that's going to Bangladesh in March. Are you broadly okay with that? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that because he's, because he's playing meaningful, high-pressure cricket. I, I would have been less okay with that had that not been the case. But, um, but given, the, given the options that abound for, for players, particularly players of his his type um, around the world, it was it was always going to be the case that he'd have something else to do. So yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy with that. It wouldn't have. It's. I don't think it would have been the worst thing in the world for him to have been on the on the New Zealand tour either. Um, you know, even if on the on the you know England played five seamers down there, I think the last time they were in uh, in New Zealand. Um, so spin not likely to play a massive part, but you never know. Jack Leach might dive up, dive and bang his head again, and suddenly he finds himself in, in an eleven. So if that had happened, I would have been happy with that as well. So the England um, hierarchy can do no wrong at this moment. It doesn't matter what they do; it's all it's all brilliant. It's brilliant. Christmas is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, the other name that stood out for me was was Ollie Stone. He's fit again. Mark Wood's been been rested, so if Stone's body is up for it, he could it could play a massive role on this tour, having not played that much for England recently or played much for anyone recently. Yeah, that's always a very big if with Ollie Stone though, isn't it? I mean, obviously he's a hugely exciting cricketer, 
and you have to think back to that tour of India where he played, was it the first test or the second test, where he just bowled an electric opening spell and suddenly you could see this is why England want to give him every possible chance. And they've continued to do that, but unfortunately he just can't get on the park. So at this stage, it's still nothing much more than, than potential and hope and optimism because I, don't, I actually don't know when the last time he played a first-class game, but it was certainly not, not recently. Um, having said that, Mark Wood hadn't played any first-class cricket for a long time before he turned up in um, in Pakistan and bowled like the bowled like the wind and was a huge part of that series win. So it's not impossible. Um, and England obviously think very very highly of him. Um, you, you kind of feel like he needs a few county wickets behind him before he gets another chance. But but you know never never know. We'll we'll see. Um, express pace in New Zealand is it's obviously useful. It's it's not necessarily the way New Zealand have won matches there. Um, but in the absence of Wood, who it seems like a sensible time to rest him, I think, given given his exploits over the last few months, then you can see they want a light light replacement. And, and Stone, if they can get him on the park, is is the closest they can get to that. Yeah, I do reckon that that one of the one of the things that was always a massive feature of Australian um, cricket through their sort of halcyon days of the nineties and um, you know early two thousands was the fact that most of their most of their sort of gun players expended very, very little energy in first-class cricket, hardly any at all. All of their overs were bold. If they were bold at all, were bold playing test matches or playing, you know, international stuff. So, I mean, you know, as Mark Wood has kind of proven, you'd rather him, you'd rather him play two, two and a half glorious test matches as a test player than, than play two warm-up matches and, and half a test match, um, you know, because, because basically it's, it's a little bit like when you get older and the amount of units that you consume are, are limited, so you want to have the, the the nicest ones you can possibly get down your neck, rather than wasting your time with special brew. You know what I mean? It's kind of, it, and if Ollie, if Ollie Stone kind of makes a has a has a sort of a like a like some sort of sparkler, plays one Test match, takes five for bowls like the wind, and then isn't seen again until the summer, then so be it. I reckon I, I don't think that's a, a massive problem either. They've also got six Test matches in England, and I know it's kind of heresy, isn't it, to look too far ahead into the old into the ashes thing, but. That's the reality of it. That first test match against Ireland it begins on June 1st. And then two weeks later, it's the first of five test matches, basically back-to-back in England. Obviously, mouth-watering series are coming up. But England need a battery of quicks. So if Ollie Stone can play one one of those games or two of those games, then that obviously helps Mark Wood's chances of, of playing three of those games. And obviously, you have the Anderson and Broad management as well. So it, look, it makes sense. Uh, but even when England's selection, selections don't immediately make sense, and they come to make sense, so I think we we have to we have to t- you know doff our cap to this one. I think really, and and Stone is somebody that they like. Whenever he is halfway fit, they bring him in, um, and you can absolutely understand why. Uh, so with Archer as well, back in the ODI side, I don't know if you're gonna you'll probably come to that in a minute, yes, but it does feel like. With some inevitable forks in the road coming up and bumps in the road coming up, nonetheless, it does feel like they are developing this coherent bunch uh, of international quality cricketers. And they're going to need at least 16, 17 of them come June next year. Just to jump in there quickly on, on Stone, his last first class match was the Edgebaston test against New Zealand in June 2021. So that really does show the kind of the size of the punt they're taking here. But I obviously think it's one worth worth risking. Elsewhere in that squad, Matt Potts and Stuart Broad are back in the mix. Will Jax is still around. Uh, there's no Keaton Jennings or Jamie Overton who both toured Pakistan without playing. 
Uh, two names that I thought of who are not in the squad, but I feel quite sorry for at the end of this year. And you wonder how the year could have gone if circumstances were, were different. Were one, Saqib Mahmood and two, Matt Parkinson. On Mahmood, it feels like a very long time ago, but he debuted in the Caribbean and straight away looked really, really good. And he's played one game of cricket since that tour. And as well as Potts did in the summer, Mahmood starts that summer in the England side if he's fit. Mahmood turns 26 in February and has still only paid... 28 first-class games in the last couple of years whenever he's played ODI cricket he's looked really good there as well he would have been part of the World Cup plans if fit and then with Parkinson as well you know massive favourite on this podcast and he had that brief taste of test cricket in the summer but I feel like people made up their minds on him very quickly and we've talked before how about how difficult it can be being in the England setup, getting dropped and expected to perform at your very best as soon as you've left the England setup and you're back into county cricket and a lot of very good players have struggled after being dropped. And I think also with the more you watch leg spinners around the world at the moment, leg spinners are really, really different to each other. He's very different to Rahan Ahmed. He's slower through the air, but he's got a much bigger leg break. He bowls very long spells, which you don't necessarily associate with leg spinners. And I'm not saying he should have played loads of cricket for England this year, but in a different universe, if he plays in the Caribbean, I do wonder what his year would have looked like. And I think it's a bit of a shame to see see how the years have gone for those two young guys from Lancashire. It, it, def- it definitely is. But I mean, they're still young enough to, to come again. We're obviously not writing them off here. But it's also a good sign for English cricket, right? That, that these names can almost disappear so quickly because there are so many other players out there. This is not often that England have a new legs going to come through so they don't have to think about the previous one. I mean, we're in kind of uncharted territory here. This this is exciting stuff. And Mahmood, I know Saqib, I think, will I'm be very surprised if he doesn't come again. They they think really highly of him. Um, white ball, perhaps in particular, also with that reverse swing that he gets with the red, he's always going to be an asset. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he plays some test cricket this summer. He's just got to get, get back on the field. And, and on, on Parkinson, his attitude is one of his best traits, so he'll be pretty philosophical about what's happened here. There's a brotherhood among spinners anyway, and especially deep one among the odd leggy that, that manages to break through in English cricket. And he'll be he'll be delighted for, for Ray and Ahmed. There won't be any bitterness there. There'll be maybe a sense of uh, the cards could have fallen slightly more favourably for him. Um, and he, he'll play another four or five years before he begins to really feel like he might have actually mastered this art, right? He can come again at any point. And, and if, if it's just a question of a little bit more zip through the air, a little bit more pace through the air to really trouble international players, then that's something that you imagine that he could work on over the next period of time and come again. He's got some amazing natural attributes. As you say, he does offer something different, a point of difference with Ray and Armin. Um, so I think he'll be OK. I think he'll be fine at this stage. Um, and there are plenty of T20 gigs out there as well for him to to hoover up in the meantime. Um, and as Joe says, with Sak, Sak, Sakib, they love him. They think he's great. He's a very intelligent cricketer um, and he's a versatile, brilliant fielder, very modern cricketer. So, yeah, again, it, there's there's so many percolating around in English cricket um, and it's it's an intriguing time. I, I, was, I was having a chat last night, by the way, um, to two lads in the pub who know cricket well and they they were under the assumption that Duckett will probably won't be opening at the start of the summer. There's no question, right? That that he will he's in ensconced now, right? In that in that setup. He's obviously on the tour. No Jennings in the test squad. I think he'd have to have a a bit of a shocker in New Zealand to to miss out entirely. I mean you could see it's unfolding and that, you know, 
there is the narrative that he's good in subcontinental conditions against spinners, but he's he's a bit vulnerable against the moving ball, which, you know, is most openers are vulnerable against the moving ball because that's something they have to deal with all the time. But you can see Duckett having a series of low scores in New Zealand. Suddenly the narrative shifts and, and, and come the first test, things have moved on. But <clears> the first Nashes test comes along pretty quickly. There's not a huge amount of cricket before it. So I think I would be surprised if Duckett's not there. It would have to be a, a really poor tour of New Zealand to, to, to shift that. There's, there's numbers in in the championship for knots. A great have, have been de- have been decent, yeah, more than decent. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I, yeah, I don't. I I think he's exactly what they were looking for. Exactly what they were looking for. Somebody that can to, that will shift the game along. Somebody who can do what Alex Lees could not, which was, you know, which was naturally be an aggressive player. You know. Um. So yeah. I I don't I don't see any scenario where he. I mean, you know. You, Look at the look at his mate at the other end. You know, if if Ben Duckett is going to miss out after a couple of um after a couple of a couple of failures, which we are we're projecting that there will be, of course there will. Um, then I'm not sure any of them will be able to look 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 each other in the eye if they were to leave him out, given the, uh, the support they've given to given to his mate at the other end. Yeah, exactly. I, th- I think the key point is that his record in England over the last two years is excellent. So he's not a one trick pony. I mean, I know he has a unique way of playing the turning ball in that he sweeps literally everything, but he's a far more rounded player than that. And, and it'd be a mistake, I think, to pigeonhole him um, as as what simply, you know, a sort of spin-centric sort of batter. He's obviously a lot more than that. I think that narrative came from Pakistani pundits who obviously don't follow English domestic cricket. I can totally see if you've only, if you only watch the England uh, international side and you see this guy do really really well in a t20 series and then they select him in the same conditions um you might think that selection is based on how well he's done in t20 cricket but it wasn't really it was just a coincidence that he also did well in the t20 series he got picked we were saying on this podcast throughout the summer if lee doesn't go well in the south africa series there's a strong chance that duckett comes in i agree with all of you if uh something's got to go pretty drastically wrong for Duckett to not start the Ashes. You'd say the next in line would probably be Keaton Jennings based on the county summer he had and, and the fact he was on that tour of Pakistan. Well, Keaton Jennings has not got a good record in, in home test matches. He's looked suspect against high quality fast bowling. I know he said he's worked on his technique to improve that, but it's not as though you've got a kind of ready-made replacement lined up who you'd say, yeah, he's going to come in and score runs against that Australian attack. So mm-hmm. again, I think that all works in Duckett's favour. Yeah, and reasonably telling that he's not been selected in this squad. So if if one of Duckett or Cawley goes down with an injury in New Zealand, there's going to be a makeshift opener. The ghost in the machine is Johnny Bairstow, isn't it? Where they all fit in once he's once he's fit again. Um, the injury sounded horrendous, by the way. So I mean, a kind of it's, it's unlikely that he's going to be. He might be ready for the beginning of the summer, but that's that's not a given. Um, so who knows? It might be without him altogether. But I suppose if you if you if you put together all of the best toys in your in your Christmas sack. Then, uh, then Bairstow would be in it, as would Brooke, and therefore there is a there's a spot missing, isn't there? Or there's there's somebody that's going to have to miss out in order to make up the eleven. So there's another intriguing little um, subplot as we move forward. By, by about midnight last night, after a few of what you can expect over Christmas time, I did have Brooke as my opening batsman. By the way, to solve the Johnny Bairstow problem, how, I'm not how many how many have you had? Oh yeah, all of them. <laughs> Just picked them all and then lined them up and then knocked them back. Uh, yeah, I, I, look, he's such a great player. Obviously, such an such an intriguingly good player. Um, and I know he's never done it before, but he's 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 technically pretty sound, and he's got the the chutzpah, doesn't he? He's got the he's got the dash and daring and brashness to pull just about anything off at the moment. And it it, it would just be a sort of Stokesian decision, I think, 
to say, look, kidder, up you go. Let's see how you go. You know, let's see if you can be a sort of Yorkshire saywag for us for a couple of years. But looking at that squad for New Zealand, um, <laughs> if an opener was to go down and there isn't a, a, an opener, a clear opener in that squad, I wouldn't be surprised if they just stick Will Jacks up there and say, go and go and play like <laughs> you do in, in white ball cricket. Because they haven't got Besto. To, the dilemma hasn't arrived yet. Besto's not fit. I could definitely sure. see Will Jacks being a kind of a makeshift pinch hitter in, in New Zealand. Have you spoken to him, Mark? Johnny Johnny Besto about his recovery. No. You haven't, no. No, I haven't. I spoke, but, I, but obviously I was with Brody um, mm. through the through the long, the long nights, mornings um, <laughs> of, the, of the test matches. And uh, no, he, he just he, he had spoken to him. Johnny sort of like piped up every once in a while on text messages, sort of asking, where, you know, where, where am I going to get back in the team? <laughs> sort of <laughs> sort of tongue in cheek, but not tongue in cheek. Yeah, sure. Um, and that's and you know, and, and that's where I heard. Potentially, that the, you know the injury was pretty damn serious, and that yeah. um, recovery is not going to be straightforward for him. Yeah, that's what I've heard as well. And um, when you're on Sky, I was meaning to ask you this: Do you sort of grab a little twenty minute dos, you know, through through the mornings and all of that, or are you are you a pro to your bootlaces? What's it like? No, when it off you. This series was kind of was unbelievably entertaining. You know, I've I've never never known sort of like as a, a, a compelling a watch as that. So yeah. it wasn't a case that we were having to kind of keep ourselves awake to watch it. It was kind of, you know, the sessions flew by generally, yeah. um, which was not, which has not always been the case over the years. <laughs> um, and so, no, we would sit, sit there and watch and talk crap. Go, they, they've got this amazing set of stairs that runs up, up about six stories up, up the side. So every once in a while when they'll, you know, when you fall and sleep, go for a little thunder up and down the stairs for a bit, <laughs> they come refreshed and ready to go for the tea break. Um, but no, I mean, I, I, I can't ever remember watching it, it sort of like a particularly test matches from, from that part of the world yeah. whereby, um, you know, you just felt that you couldn't, couldn't miss any of it. That's, and that's extraordinary because we're, we're watching, you know, Pakistan are now playing now against New Zealand. I've had that on the TV this morning and it's, and it's imminently missable, isn't it? All of it. And, you know, <laughs> the crowds mm. uh, you know, Exactly what Test match cricket in that part of the world has, has always been like. You know, that's that's just it's just gone back to how here you go. You bat first, you get four hundred, nearly five hundred. Team mm. batting seconds does the same. It all it all happens at around about three and over, and then and you hope that something mad happens on the last day and a half. You know, that's kind of that's how it's always been. But for the three and a half it's astonishing weeks, it was anything but that. Phil's mentioned it already, but England named an ODI squad for their trip to South Africa early in the week. Joffre Archer is back. That's the big news. He's in line for his first England appearance since March 2021. Joe Root has been rested. He'll be playing for the Dubai Capitals in that UAE T20 competition instead. Uh, assuming that Ben Stokes unretires before the World Cup, it looks like there's a three-way shootout for the Owen Morgan replacement spot in the 11 between Duckett, Milan and Brooke. There's no Alex Hales in that squad either. But the thinking from England en route is that he's a good enough player to not need to play these three ODIs eight months out of the World Cup and they'll do what they did for the T20 World Cup and ramp up their preparation in September. But Root and England don't play that much ODI cricket. Their players play absolutely loads of T20 stuff throughout the year, even if it's not for England. Root's not scored 100 in ODI cricket since the World Cup. He's not played a single ODI outside of England since the start of the pandemic. India, for example, play way more ODI cricket than England. What do you make of that use of Root? The UAE T20 League is, is hardly a, an elite T20 league yet. 
either. No, I, I think I think part of it is a little bit of a um, it's a little bit of a of a golden handshake's not the right word because obviously he's not done. But it's a little bit, Joe. You've missed out on the, we've been off filling our boots and, and lining our coffers for the last five or six years. You've not been able to do any of this. You've not experienced any of this. You know, playing in those in those environments with different players from all around the world. Um, go go and have a go and go and do it. Go and enjoy it. Go and see what you can pick up from it, and we'll and we'll have you back when you when you're ready. I think that's all that is, and I think it's and I think it's another piece of expert man management. To be honest with you, imagine you know rewind the clock back to the days of, of KP and the, and the you know and him proving proving <laughs> proving to be right about sort of playing in the IPL and all these other types of things. Imagine if that the enlightenment had been around to have sort of said to him, okay. Let's let's let him go and do this. Go and go and experience it. Go and earn the money. Then then come back to us. You know, as as a better player and a, and a you know a better bloke, or in a, at least in a better mood. You know, uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> all those years ago. Uh, and, and you, so so what the thing that you get the 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 feeling from from watching the decision making and watching the man management of of Stokes and, and McCullum and, and Key in the background is that they are that they're, they're, they're always a few steps ahead in terms of their thinking in terms of how they're they're treating players and and, and how they want them then to come back and and, and fit in for them um whilst whilst still trying to pick the team to win games right now and that's there's a real skill in that you know if you have huge assets um, and we always talk about assets in terms of sort of fast bowlers or whatever it might be. You're always trying to look after them for this assignment and that assignment. Well, the same goes for players in terms of their sort of internal um, well-being or their, their sort of their ego or their, um, you know, just their self-worth or, or the way that, that, that their organisation is making them feel. Are you, are you, am I really that important to you? I feel like I should be the most important player around. And, and whether, as, as selfless of all, as all of these guys are, that internal dialogue does exist for people. And for somebody like Joe Root to say to him, mate, you're, you're, too, you're, you're a great player. Don't worry about it. These games are not important to us or to you or not enough for you not to go off and go and have a bit of fun. Go and enjoy yourself in a way that everybody else has been able to all these years. You've put in your time. Um, so you go and we'll welcome you back with open arms when it's done. And, and I think that's and it's beautiful and it will work out fantastically well. We'll give Joe a new lease of life as well. Um and it also and it also means that the, the the sort of the conveyor belt of talent and opportunity keeps providing itself to all these young guns who are not kind of getting itchy feet and thinking to themselves, well, why am I bothering playing um, international cricket for England when I can make a shed load of cash um, not playing for England? So you know there are all these little these little things at play here in order to keep um, to keep the, the the talent product line coming and wanting to play for England, and I think they're doing it great. I'd agree with all of that from Butch, absolutely. I think this is another really smart call. I think on top of that, I mean, I, I wouldn't be fussed if Joe Root doesn't play another ODI until the start of the World Cup, really. I just think of all England's players, it matters the least to him. I mean, he, he's never played vastly differently from one format to the other. He's such a natural. I just don't think it really matters in his case. Um, and absolutely, let's have a look at some of the people coming through. And if Harry Brook can, have, can go into that World Cup with a stack of ODI runs behind him, that makes England such a stronger side. It was a good week for Harry Brook. The IPL auction happened. Uh, lots of English players got gigs. Stokes, Curran and Brook all got deals worth well over a million pounds. I think Brook's, the, Brooks deal was the highest ever for a specialist batter. And I think Curran's the highest ever. Joe Root got his first IPL gig, as did Will Jacks, Reese Topley and Phil Salt. A deal Rashid was picked up as well. Jacks, I think, has got a reasonable chance of playing quite a lot at RCB because 
Glenn Maxwell is potentially out injured for a while, who obviously performed a similar role. Um, Ireland's Josh Little got a big money deal worth over half a million uh, for the 2022 champions. Good no, like Brian was happy about that. I know. <laughs> was he? <laughs> no, but good on him as well. I mean, he, he deserves it. He really does. He's a he's proper high-impact um, uh, new ball player, much quicker than he looks. Um, and I think he'll go really well in it. In the international game this week, there was an amazing test match between India and Bangladesh. India beat Bangladesh by three wickets in the second and final test of that series. India were chasing 145. They were 37 for four and then 74 for seven before Shreyas Iyer and Ravi Chandran Ashwin got them home. John asks... Given the success of England's new brand of cricket, are you surprised at what seems like a lack of interest from other nations to try and copy at least some elements of that? I think it's a very good question, especially in relation to this game. So India, with, when they were 37 for four, they were 37 for four off 20 overs. Uh, it reminded me quite a lot of that England game against Pakistan in the UAE 10 years ago, where England, what, 70 all out chasing 140, and you're just wondering where the hell's the next run coming from? And then when India did get over the line, it was Ashwin and Ayer scoring a quicker Ray, what do you guys think? Are you slightly surprised that we've not seen other teams at least trying up the scoring rate a little bit? I think, but you mentioned that Pakistan-New Zealand test match. It is comparatively much drier than the England series, but I think New Zealand have actually tried to score at a quicker rate than they otherwise would have done. So maybe there's a glimpse of that changing there. Yeah, I, I just think it'll take a little a little bit of time to filter through. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that if, if, you're, if you're Pakistan, in particular, and you've just watched what's happened to you on your home soil, and and your and the stats are that forty seven percent of all Test matches played in your country are draws. You you'd be completely mad not to think that that was the way to go, right? Or at least you'd kind of really hate the game. <laughs> you'd really hate cricket if you just if you thought that we're just going to go back to doing it like that forevermore and hope that uh, and hope that people turn up and what. So I, I think I think it'll take a little time. I, I think that particularly when Australia come over because nobody wants to turn around and, and say that they're you know that they're copying somebody else I mean that's kind of instead of being rather than being the, the best form of the highest form of flattery it, um, it's some it's like a sign of weakness however Australia have been so used to being the team and, and the country that sort of sets the standards for you know player behavior haha <laughs> um, um, you know the, the way that the game should be played, scoring at, at, at four and over, whatever it was back in the day. All of these things are kind of like it's Australia that leads the way. So we'd be completely mad to think that the, the testosterone wouldn't kick in um, during the course of the Ashes series, and then they'd start going toe to toe at each other. I, ca- I can't see any other way of it of it playing out. Unless England kind of have an absolute you know disaster first Test match and get and get obliterated in a in a kind of old fashioned way, which again I can't see happening. Um, you just think to yourself that you you end up with a slugfest. It's going to be like Hagler Hearns from whatever it was eighty four. Just two teams just swinging haymakers at each other until one falls over, um, and it's going to be good. In terms of its wider impact in in matches not involving England, I think it will be intriguing to see if if India do show any interest in in adapting their style because India typically aren't in the business of looking at what other countries do and say yeah we'll we'll pick that up. They they are the trendsetters. They lead the way and. You know, Rishabh Pant will always bat like Rishabh Pant, but India generally play quite conservative test cricket and it's worked for them pretty well. I, I don't really see them budging. I think there might even be a, this is the way we play and we're going to we're gonna stick to it. Um, a lot of their players don't necessarily, I mean, Pajara's back in that side now. 
I don't think Pajara is going to come out and start scoring at a strike rate 120. I mean, he's going to do what he's done for the rest of his test career. So I think, you know, India v England will be a fascinating matchup in India, um, whether England can can do what they did in Pakistan and, and how India will respond to it. But I, I don't see them budging, really. I think they'll they'll stick to what they've, they've done for the last few years, which has brought them a lot of success. And Australia and India as well. Australia go to India at the start of 2023 and India have quietly not had a very good year. They played only played seven test matches, won four of them. Those four wins were at home to Sri Lanka and then away to Bangladesh. And they only just won one of those Bangladesh test matches in conditions that are pretty favourable to them. That series could well be a belter. Uh, just, just on the Australian point, just to carry on from what Mark was saying, I've, I've said it before on, the sh- on this show that they will be ticking the uh, sort of overwhelming smugness of the English at this point, as if we've we've recreated cricket, we've we've redrawn all the boundaries, and they will be saying, "Well, hold on a second and they will probably point to even just last summer, right, where you have Warner being Warner running at a strike rate of seventy, whatever it is, at, at test test level, and then you have even Travis Head who's scoring at a runner ball, and you saw it again two weeks ago, goes out and smashes a eighty five ball ninety in a in a nip and tuck test match. And you have Cameron Green in the middle order, who's a big hitting, attacking kind of swashbuckling kind of cricketer. And so they will say, well, we've always had that that spirit. It might not be quite as extreme and, and demonstrative as the Stokes era, but they've always had that belief in attack being the best form of defence and attack being the best form of finding your way to 20 wickets. Uh, and that's always been the mark of their cricket. So if anything, what England are really doing is now taking the Australian model and then daring to even run it a little bit further down the line. But the themes carry echoes throughout, I would say, Australian cricket, all the way back to the 70s, really. Um, And so, yeah, they will be ticking, I think, at the English just now. And all of this can be thrown into the cauldron of next summer, all all the more so, because there's going to be an edge on top of the the needle that is always there, I think, on this one, because the English will properly fancy it now. Rather than hoping for the best, they'll be expecting to do this. Uh, and they'll come up against a team that are a little bit stung because they've been questioned. There's Their preeminence has been questioned by the Poms. So it's, it's all going to kick off. It's going to be spectacular, I think. On other series that, that could be really good at the start of next year, I think that England tour of New Zealand could be closer than we might think at the moment. England haven't won a test match in New Zealand for absolutely ages. And that New Zealand batting lineup is still pretty good. You know, yesterday Conway became the quickest New Zealander to a thousand test runs. I think Mitchell will almost certainly equal that record in the second innings of this test match. It's a good top six, top seven. England have really struggled to take 20 wickets in New Zealand for quite a long time now. And at the end of the day, they're still going to need to do that. And it's been very impressive how they've managed that throughout the last year. But I think this is the biggest test in a way. Um, obviously conditions in Pakistan were more extreme, but it's, it's not easy to take 20 wickets in New Zealand, especially they do change the pitches quite dramatically. Sometimes it's very green, but sometimes it can be extremely flat. So I think that could be a big test. Talk, talk of this New Zealand series distills the frustrations and the, the nonsense of two test series, especially when one of the big boys are involved. I'm unmoved by the New Zealand series. We were talking about it a couple of weeks ago on this show. I'm, un, I'm broadly unmoved by it. We talk about the jeopardy on Crawley. You know, he's only got four knocks. Might even only be three with a bit of rain around or if they make 600 or whatever. So all these narratives that we're trying to flow into this series, they come up against this, this problem, don't they? Right? That we can't really begin to get our teeth into this, into the overarching spectacle of this series because there's so little of it. 
And it's so frustrating. Mm. You know, these are two story teams. They should be playing three test matches. Come what may, they should be finding a way to play three test matches. Long way to go for two. It is, isn't it? It is. To be run out and, you know, a bit of rain and pack your bags and come home again. Just on that Pakistan New Zealand test match, there's a return to test cricket for Safraz Ahmed in his first test match in nearly four years. Um, he's done really well in Pakistani domestic cricket, but he's in the side in place of Mohammad Rizwan, who's basically just had five not great test matches. So on the one hand, a deserving recall for Safraz, but uh, pretty harsh for Rizwan, who not, not that long ago would have been one of the first names on the team sheet. In Australia, David Warner scored a double hundred on his 100th test. It's his first test century in quite a long time. There was a very funny moment when he got to his 200. I'm not sure if you guys saw this. So he was battling injury and cramp. And when he got to 200, he did his trademark punch in the air jump and then had to limp off injured after doing it. And then he came on to, he came back to bat the next day and then he got, he got done by, I think, Norkia uh, without adding to his score. Um, Australia have got three guys who are really quite injured. So Warner, Stark and Green. So Green batted for hours and hours and hours to help Kerry get to his 100. Safka will bowl out for 189, which extends their run without reaching 200 to seven innings. Just want to add on this. Uh, Australia's summer, from a spectator point of view, as an Aussie fan, tough watch. And this is not to put the boot in at all on the Aussie side because they've wiped the floor with the West Indies and, and with South Africa, but they've been some painful cricket matches, horribly mismatched one-sided affairs. And obviously their summer kicked off with a botched World Cup campaign as well. That combined with the big bash not really getting going, um, some peculiar results and peculiar games within that as well. Some very low scores, some stodgy pitches. From a from a spectator point of view, it's good. It's, it would have been a really tough summer, I think, this to watch. And all right, you can clear off two test matches against a pretty woe-begotten West Indies side, but then you think, all right, South Africa will turn up and they'll scrap hard and it will... It's a good rivalry that historically. Well, that's been a painful watch as well, in truth. Um, it'd be interesting to see actually come the end of the summer what their numbers are like. You know, there's a lot of money that's been flooded in from from the TV companies, Fox up there. And and yeah, it'd be interesting to see, I think, just, just how much the Aussie public were able to stomach it because there wasn't much evidence of it during the World Cup. Admittedly, it was early in the, in their season. Um, but it's been a rather sorry affair since as well. And it's maybe a glimpse of what could happen here in 2024. So in the 2024 English summer, there's currently a T20 World Cup scheduled in the Caribbean and, and the States. And then England's test summer is three home tests against West Indies and three home tests against Sri Lanka. And I know that both are improving sides, but England at home against those two teams, even when England have been really not that good, have been pretty one-sided. So um, potentially a glimpse of, of what's to come here. A couple of listener questions before we get to our moments of the year. James asks, where do you see Test cricket in 10 years' time? Um, I, I, I think, I mean, without trying to trying to nail it down to a, this is what it's going to look like, I think the, the, um, the very premise that there will be less less teams and less series competing in test match cricket, I think is, is almost, is almost a given. Well, Greg, um, Greg Bartley, the ICC chief executive said, said as much himself. So if that, if that's the message yeah. coming right from the top, it's, it's hard to see it being anything but really. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, and it's a huge, <laughs> a huge shame. Um, but it's been coming for ages and, and, um, and nothing really has been done to try and stop it over the last 15 years. Um, we're getting to that point now where, where where it's just critical. You've got 
boards who can't afford to pay their players, at least not pay them to the same to the same degree as they can get paid for doing far less work um, playing in franchise cricket. And the you know the the, the sort of like the, the eroding of the importance of test match series. You know, you, you have these two test match series. You've got series that aren't part of the, the World Test Championship. The World Test Championship doesn't make any sense to anybody still. Um, you know, these all of these these um, attempts to try and bring some sort of context to Test match cricket arguably has, has done the opposite for me. I, you know, I might, I've always believed, and I've probably said it on here before, that, it, that each Test match has its own context anyway, always has, um, and that you didn't need some great overarching behemoth to kind of make to make an individual Test match of some of some importance. Um, and the problem has been is that the players. The players now have more choices. The boards now um, kind of see it as a loss, as a loss leader for them anyway. Most places, um, and therefore, Test match cricket has been allowed to kind of wither away in, in importance. And you cannot tell me that that the people making noises about, um, and this is people at the, at the very top of the game making noises about how important Test match cricket is, actually believe it, because their actions and their words haven't matched up over all this time. And, we, and now we are in a situation whereby it's almost financially. Um, impossible for the majority of test playing nations to continue playing test match cricket. I agree with all of that, Mark. Uh, the only bit I'd quibble with is the, the the fact that this test championship is now in play. And while it is confusing and bewildering and obviously unbalanced and clearly no absolute panacea to the problems that you quite rightly outline, I would mm. rather they were trying something than trying nothing personally. And I would rather this... Uh, rather garbled version of a good idea is in place than no idea at all personally um, mm. and just as a just as a punter not as a hack but as a punter the uh, Bangladesh India test that Yaz mentioned earlier that had a very real effect impact on who's going to be playing in this final in June next year uh, and if India had gone down then it made it very very considerably more hard for them to, to qualify than if they'd actually got over the line. And so a game that would have otherwise been a little bit of a here today, gone tomorrow, cash cow for, for Bangladesh and India doing the business and travelling around and playing where they need to play to, to generate cash, would have been instantly forgotten. As it was, there was a bit more on that game from a fan's point of view, from an outsider's point of view, or a neutral's, than if there hadn't been this kind of mild, questionable jeopardy attached to it, but still a form of context nonetheless. But, but Phil, did you get the sense that that we know that? I mean, you particularly know that because you covered it on the podcast a week ago or two weeks ago. Did you get the sense that other people, enough other people knew that for that to actually no. have? No. no, nowhere near. Nowhere near. Um, so, so, so whose fault is that and what more can be done? The nearer that one gets to the point at which the qualifying period is over, the more clarity we get with who's who's in the mix and who's not. And if you really do care about Test cricket, then you would want to know, and you would you would find a way to find out. They certainly knew. In the Indian players certainly knew because there was quotes about the game afterwards. They knew what was riding on that game because they've worked out the permutations. Uh, surely it's messy. Of course it's messy. Um, but I would rather it was it was being tried. And then maybe finessed in the in the years and months to come, than not tried at all. In terms of who whose fault is that? 
I mean, the ICC could do more, I think. Yeah. They could put out more press releases. But really, the ICC messages don't reach people outside the media. They're, they're, it's basically just kind of press releases. Well, uh, I, I think I think the media has to take a lot of responsibility for that. I mean, we we take the piss out of Ben for his for his spreadsheets and knowing what every match means. But actually, like mm. more people should be doing that. And that should be talked about by the pundits. That should be talked about by broadcasters yeah. in terms of what this match means. Because a lot of people don't. But unfor- unfortunately, that's the problem, though, isn't it? If you if you have to, if it, if it takes a spreadsheet to work it out, then it's not exactly for every man, is it? You know what I mean? It's yeah. not... You, the spreadsheet can give you we're not saying put the spreadsheet out but if you study that spreadsheet you can get a line you can find a line a narrative like the india bangladesh test and then tell your audience this is what that means um, and that's that that's down to to us i think yeah and, and i would argue that that six months out from the end of the period when everyone's playing everybody else because it's the winter t- the british winter time is equivalent to the last stretch of a, of a Premier League campaign, if you like, right? Where suddenly you do know the permutations and it's not just been this whole tranche of games, but now you do know yeah. what teams need to, to stay up or to, or to get fourth or whatever it might be. And, and I, now we do know, we do know the permutations for India and we do know the permutations yeah. for Australia a little bit more clearly than we did a, a couple of months ago. And so I, I get all of that. Yes, I get, I, you get, I get all of that. But you, but the, but using the Premier League is a rather unfortunate comparator. Is not helped because because months out from like from the beginning, no, months out from the end of the Premier League, people care what happens on that particular Saturday. And the issue that you've got is that people don't care what happens in that particular Test match. You know, in the in the in the in the preceding time up to the last into the run in. There isn't. There is not. There's no reason for people to get excited about the the actual fixtures that are from, happening at the time. Which is aside which from is, the point that you make, which though, is the that... thing. Which is why the game is. Which is why the game is in big, big trouble because the games themselves, regardless of context outside, do not matter enough. They don't matter enough for to, to for people to for people to turn up and watch them. Let alone get the spreadsheet out and work out what's going to be happening eighteen months down the line. And there is the, therein lies the issue. But do we just out. then shrug our shoulders to this this lack of context and lack of jeopardy and say, okay, fine, well, that's 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 that then. Not enough people. Well, are all, all, I'm, just... no, all I'm all I'm saying to you is that the context is not the thing that is going to is, is going to save it. What will save it is making is is making the the idea of Test match cricket, the remuneration for that, so that the best players want to play in it, the most important thing. Not the not the bauble at the end. But the actual, you know, the, the the thing that's the thing that's killing it at the moment is is that players that players are just not in, not enough players from countries that are not being paid extremely well to do it are ha- are willing to play it anymore. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You kind of you, you be, if you're beginning your career at, at this point in time, are you going to look to to Sam Curran making two point two million for for five or six weeks work in the IPL, or are you going to be a New Zealand? You know, are you going to want to play? Um, six or seven test matches for New Zealand earning as as much money as, as one of the lowest paid members of Indian players in the IPL are over the course of a year being away from home and, and there is the decision that, is, that has been that's being left with the people who are going to be playing the game the people who we pay to watch to play the game I do think it goes some way to adding a little bit more meat on the bone of a of an otherwise random test match that as we say does struggle for oomph and impact so I would rather that there is that attempt to try and put a little bit of meat on that bone than, than than to shrug our shoulders to it. It doesn't solve the problem of what you talk about regarding the remuneration of the game. Absolutely not. Uh, but there, there are 
there are two different things at play there. And I think on the fans, I think there are two things that can be done. Number one, uh, Ben should just share his spreadsheet uh, so everyone knows exactly who needs what. And then run the ICC. We've been saying it for years. <laughs> and then number two, and this is a this is a serious point, make them easy to watch. Uh, India Bangladesh. There's a test match between two of the three most populated cricket playing nations. How do you watch it? Uh, Australia women just played India women in a brilliant series. How do you watch it? I, I think like you you can't expect fans to feel invested in cricket they can't watch. People in England, there'll be decent numbers watching Pakistan New Zealand at the moment just because it's on. Put the Test cricket on uh, the Asia Cup earlier this year. You, you could basically not watch it in the UK. It was on Channel Seven Hundred and something, and you needed a Sky subscription to have it. Too much cricket is spread across so many different channels, half of them you never heard of. And I don't think you can expect fans to feel invested in competition they can't watch. The Premier League, if we're using that as an example, that's rammed down your throat throughout the year. Yeah, there are two main um, broadcasters who show it, but you know exactly where, where it's going to be. With cricket, other than England matches, and even with England matches, you've had three broadcasters in the last 18 months. Um, it's it's not easy to watch. And I think until that's fixed, I can't really see people getting invested in whatever the ICC do in terms of the format, when when games are played, etc. Just one final bit. Um, and I've said it before, but I feel it more and more to, to really inject some kind of slightly phony meaning to this thing. Got to be a three test series between the finalists. It has to be a three test series. A one off game. Sure. But we, but we talk about narrative all the time with this stuff, and it's absolutely essential. So for me, that would be the big thing that I would shift. In in fact, I would like a whole summer in my dreams. I'd like a whole summer blocked off between the top four sides. They play a round robin, and then there's a best of three uh, towards the end. We could do that in an English summer. It may intervene with some of England's test matches, but as you say, that's becoming more and more moot as we move through the years anyway. With a month for the 100 in the middle as well. Uh, a slightly more uh, fun question. Chris asks, pound for pound, was that the best year for English cricket across formats ever? I think if you just focus on the men's game, it's got to be up there, right? I think it's got to be. And I think also, I've been chatting with Andrew Miller about this as a potential column for the next magazine, that not only is it great for English cricket fans, but I also feel like English cricket in terms of its global standing has never been at a higher point. Uh, we, we saw it with the white ball side under Rowan Morgan suddenly were the world leaders. And now look, we're not saying Ben Stokes is the test side of the world leaders yet because they can't qualify for the World Test Championship and they're what, fourth in the rankings, but they are at least showing the world how they want their fans want them to play. Um, suddenly English cricket feels in a, a very uh, kind of privileged position. I've, I've never known it. In, in my lifetime, um, you know, everyone wants to play play like England. Everyone wants to watch England. That these are that's not how I remember cricket growing up, or, or, no. or even mm. I suppose maybe yeah, two thousand five Ashes, but even that was a, that was a moment rather than a kind of a a, a, a wider thing. I think. Um, so yeah, I, personally, I, I think it. I think it is. I think this could be the greatest year for English cricket. Well, mm. I mean, if the market if the market decides. Then having all of those England players um, being picked up for IPL franchises tells its own story, doesn't it? You know, the the stock of of, of our cricket and cricketers is, is is high because people are paying high prices to have them come and, and compete for their yeah. for their team. So that tells tells you all you need to know. You know, you you win a win a global global tournament and um. Win all those two. I mean, three test matches on the bounce in Pakistan is just is just staggering. 
Um, <laughs> you know, and you can Pakistan, um, their team being particularly their bowling being as, as as poor as it was, notwithstanding, even that you can kind of override that because it's still unbelievable achievement to do that. Um, and the turnaround, I suppose, all of these things to to use your word, Phil, about narrative, all of these things are kind of that they're they're, they're they're given a time and place, aren't they? And perhaps if England had been off, off the back of um, less dire times, it wouldn't seem quite such a, a you know an extraordinary um, feat over the last uh, whatever it was since June. Um, but the fact of the matter was, the story is the story. The story was one from seventeen to go from to go to nine. Nine from ten and a World Cup. I mean, that's pretty damn good, right? I don't want to. I don't want to drop Gilo in the clarts here, um, and it's nothing against him at all. But it is quite something to put it into context when he said in January last year. Oh, sorry, January this year. He said we can make whatever changes we want. You can change me, change the head coach, change the captain, but we're only setting up future leaders for failure. And he said that this year. Um, and so when you take that mood around English cricket from the then supremo of it to now, that is, yeah, that is mind-blowing, really. Well, we had a podcast exactly a year to this day, a year to the day since Boland took six for seven against... Me and Mark did it. We were yeah, it was, it, was, it was me, Butch and Phil. And we basically spent an hour talking about the systemic problems of, of why England don't produce players. And here we are a year later saying that England has had the best year ever. Performance review is, is looking a bit... Bit like it was, might have been a massive waste of time, wasn't it? Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, hope I hope it didn't cost very much. <laughs> Great question in from David here. He says, I've opened the batting at Taunton in the test match. I've been timed out hundreds of times because I've forgotten my kit and I once had ice cream with Bill Athey and Judy Dench. Did the panel have any recurring or interesting cricket dreams? <laughs> right. Um I'm just going to kick this one off. Uh, this isn't a recurrer. This is a this is a fresh one from about uh, two and a half hours ago, um, and it's a stunner, right? Yeah, it's listening. Slightly, uh, who is the boss of Wisdom, in effect, CEO of the company, uh, and a long-standing friend of Mark's as well as mine and Joe's, he employed a new commercial man, right? Really sort of ruddy-faced-looking bloke, tough fella, a mystery. Don't know who he is. Anyway, he started coming into the office and sitting opposite me in the office and gaslighting me. Oh, I listened to that podcast. You weren't very good on it. That article you read, you wrote the other day. No, not for me. Just gaslighting me day after day after day. Eventually, one morning, I threw a bowl of porridge in his face and he used that as the moment to make an official complaint against me. Went to Sykesy. But get this, Sykesy's not no longer the CEO of Wisdom. He's the chairman of the 1922 committee, that sort of talk <laughs> the Graham Brady or whatever he's called, the one that got rid of Liz Trust. And Sykes is in charge of the 1922. So I've been hauled up to Parliament. Rob marched out of the Oval, hauled up into Parliament in front of Sykes's 22 committee. This happened two hours ago. There's a thing for you. It's not really that cricket related, though. That's more of a of a workplace. It was it was all set at the Oval. It's, he was going oh. after the podcast, Jazz. Hands off, hands off. I've had a I've had two. One uh, standalone. So one dream was asking Alistair Cook. I mean, this is so boring. But asking Alistair Cook 
if he's worked with Sean Massoud recently because Sean Massoud, I thought, looked exactly like Alistair Cook when he played that last test match in Pakistan. That was an actual um, dream, my God. Yeah. yeah. Um, then the other one that is is a genuinely a recurring one is I it, less so now, but I used to have nightmares that I was no longer able to throw the ball, like a fever dream where the ball would just slip out of my hand every time I tried to throw it into the boundary. Um, but then at the start of last season, I actually did my shoulder, so I couldn't throw the ball all year. So it basically happened. Butch, do you do you dream about any of the products you had to promote while on commentary in Pakistan? Does that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, seriously, I, I can't move for toothpaste in my mouth. Um, <laughs> I, 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 all the same ones. I reckon all of us, all the creative players, would have had exactly the same. I mean, they're not being able to not being able to tie your shoelaces up, or, or not not being able to get through the gate and being you know being timed out. All the very very dull, um, but regulation that every single person that's ever played cricket will have had, I guess. I'm pretty sure I had I, I had some cricket job I was playing. I think I might have been playing in a test match a couple of nights ago. I can't remember any of the details, but I did actually have a game. So somewhere deep in my consciousness, there is still a sort of like a a, a, a need or a want to go out there and, and perform again. On, mm. but um, but we'll keep I, it. I, I had a recurring uh, visit from David Boone through the '90s when I used to cricket dream and. He would always come over to me and try and sell me his Adidas boots. Do you remember those iconic Adidas boots from the 93 series? He used to bat in them and he'd just emerge, like in a Kurt Vonnegut novel. He'd just emerge and try and sell me his boots. And I'd be, could be dreaming about anything, but, but there's Booney. In he comes with his Adidas boots. Make of that what you will. Joe, Joe conspicuously silent on this, by I the way. To, I tend to leave cricket at the bedroom door, to be honest. <laughs> it doesn't really permeate my dreams. But That's it. Oh, you are, you are us in our greatest moments, Joe. Excellent, excellent. Um, before we move on to our moments of the year, a message from the Wisdom Shop. Uh, for everyone who celebrated Christmas and has had time off over the holidays, we're probably safe in assuming that you're, you're not quite sure what day of the week it is. But not to worry, the excellent Wisdom 2023 calendar is now back in stock and makes the perfect gift to kick off the new year. Each month features one of the 12 limited edition Andrew Redden collection paintings exclusively available on the Wisdom Shop. The collection captures some of the most beautiful cricket grounds in the UK, such as Lords, the Oval, Trent Bridge, Old Trafford, Canterbury, the Grange and Taunton, making every new month a pleasure to unfold. Stocks are limited, so get yours now while they are still here. So our moments of the year, keep them reasonably brief because we've got quite a few to get through from the listeners as well. Joe, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I've got we've got two, uh, a sad one and a happy one. Um, sad one, March the 4th, when news came through of Shane Warne's death. Um, you know, I, I didn't know him at all personally. Uh, you know, at times I found his commentary quite irritating, but uh, I found it an oddly unsettling experience for someone I didn't, for someone I didn't know to, to die. And he, he just kind of felt there was a, a largeness of life to him that he felt kind of omnipresent, almost kind of immortal. So when news comes through that someone like that has died, it, it was a, a really... Yeah, unsettling, I think is the right words, experience. I remember we we gathered for a podcast that evening, I think. I think a few hours later. Um I remember Butch speaking really beautifully about playing against him and, and, and the challenges that that threw up. And then we did a special magazine, including Butch's words and and the words of a few others. Uh and that whole experience was quite a kind of cathartic to to, to go through it. Um yeah, so that's that's my sadder moment. And then the happy moment, we've covered a lot of it, so I'll keep it very brief. June 14th, day five of the Trent Bridge test against New Zealand, where it looks like England were clinging on for a draw or based on 
previous 12, 24 months are going to lose in a humiliating fashion and just have that tumble of wickets on the afternoon. Uh, and then they pulled off the unthinkable, which is no longer unthinkable. Now it's become commonplace. Uh, and that was really the start of it all. And, you know, what we've seen, Butch touched on it just, just now, what we've seen over the last few months is, is not just one of cricket's great turnarounds. It's one of sports' great turnarounds. It's truly astonishing. And and that was the day that was the catalyst for, for what followed. Phil? I think Mark's going to touch on Royal Pindy, but uh, that 500 in a day stays with me. In, not even in a day, in sort of 70-something overs madness. Uh, but also the... Do you remember England won the World Cup this year? Remember mm. that? Remember that? That happened as well. Um, God, we're smug, aren't we? Uh, and that semi-final against India was an extraordinary game of cricket and an extraordinary demonstration of, of Joss Butler's genius in particular, I thought. And I've always adored him and I've always rooted for him and I've I felt immensely sorry for him last winter when he was trying to get through Australia you know as a test cricketer haunted look on his face he wasn't himself tough time for him and so for him to go back to Australia and to orchestrate that World Cup win and the humbling if you like of India dare I say in that 10 wicket win 16 overs or whatever it was to chase down 160 170 with Hales at the other end as well, and I think Butler and Rob Key deserves a lot of credit, and Matthew Mott too, for reintroducing him back into the setup. He'd served his time, and then some. Uh, and so that was a was a very special day, I think, for English cricket, uh, and one that you couldn't have really imagined a few years back. But again, you know, to echo Joe, it's, it's suddenly become commonplace. It was Butler's, Butler's World Cup that. And I, I couldn't have been happier for him. It feels like this podcast reviewing 2022 really has set England up for a truly awful 2023. Oh, there'll be crap. Dollop of Aussie <laughs> Schadenfreude arriving come July. <laughs> Three broken fingers. Three broken fingers and an inning defeat. Yeah, mark it up. Butch, what about you? Well, um, yeah, there's like the Islamabad test match, just the whole thing. I mean, we kind of set it up, hadn't we, in terms of the... In terms of the, the Paddy Main's rogue heroes in the in the in the in the build up. And it, and they couldn't I mean it was just kind of the most mad thing you've ever seen, wasn't it? I mean six and a bit and over in the first innings, nearly sevens in the second, um, right the way up to sort of eight minutes before the before the, the darkness descended, not taking the new ball, then taking the new ball. Pretty much every decision that Ben made throughout the course of that test match was was spot on, prescient, completely and utterly. Um, brilliant and vindicated. It was just a staggering performance. It really was um, one of the one of the. I think, I think I'd go out on a limb and say that that is the best Test match win I've ever seen. Um, it was just everything about it was what was what you what you could fall in love with about the game of cricket, and um, just to just to conceive to be able to conceive something like that. Uh, and when when Ben spoke at the end of the Test match, he had you know. Obviously, he knew that they were going to have to score quickly in order to give themselves time. Um, but then he kind of, th- th- there was a huge period of it from sort of day three onwards where he was making it up as he went along, you know, trying to trying to stay ahead of the game, trying to put more, yet more time back into the game. Quite happy for Pakistan to score quickly because, you know, for them to plod along would have meant that there was less chance of, you know, all of these, all of these things that went into the pot that just made it this, just a staggering performance. And of course, the team had to deliver as well and they, and they did it in spades. That if, if I never see another one again, that's the test match that I will go to my to my grave um, with on a on an old uh, Betamax. 
Uh, <laughs> not, <laughs> not Headingley 2001? No, nah, forget that. <laughs> <laughs> every, every, you know, every, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. But that was, that, that was unbelievable, that. I think for me, I mentioned it on the pod a couple of weeks ago when we were going through uh, our favourite Joe Root moments, but uh, the gratitude he received from England fans when he got to three figures at Bridgetown. As, as we've all said, that the... What has made this year so special is is what it followed last year, and Root was um, the the face of the struggles, despite doing so well himself. So I think to him have that moment in front of ten thousand England fans at Bridgetown was was pretty special. Can I just add as a as a tiny aside on Joe Root? I meant to say it earlier. Um, I'm probably wrong, but I think he'll be a sensation at the IPL. I think he'll score runs mm. where he goes. Bat three, score at hundred and ten, hundred and twenty, whatever and just be 80 not out of 60 balls at the end of most games, I think he's going to be an absolute sensation. Short boundaries, don't have to get big, but he's going to be great. He's paying, he's paying to play as well, I think, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think people misunderstand. I think the cricket world misunderstands his his quality as a T20 player. Uh, he's, yeah. he's necessarily sacrificed that side of his career for England. Um, that was the, the trade-off of being the skipper. Uh, I think he's going to be great. He probably won't play a game, but I think he's going to be great. Yeah, I'll agree with that. He he either won't play or he'll be brilliant. I don't think he'll play and do badly. We'll finish off with some moments of the year from listeners. Uh, Rode says, Adil Rashid's maiden in the World Cup final, a match-winning moment from a player central to England's white ball success for a very long time. Uh, Simon says, uh, the Roses T20 matches always end up being the highlights of my summer. It's incredible how regularly they end up being so good. Um, and then a couple of Longer, warm, fuzzy emails to finish the podcast. Uh, Guy writes in to say, Afternoon, everyone, and a massive thanks for the brilliant podding this year. Wisdom is the equal first I listen to every week. I'm not sure how that works. Um, and I love watching the video, especially for Yaz's haircuts, Phil's hats, Ben's facial expressions talking about the T10s. It's like having your best mate cricket badgers chatting in the pub every week, which made meeting a few of you in September a delightful bonus. My moment of the year is day two at Old Trafford, my first test match this year, the first I saw in person of the McCullum era and it lived up to the billing. Bearstow and Crawley in a very un-Crawley-like way and then Stokes and Folks turning the innings around from 147 for five. Stokes played such complete innings from calm accumulation against a fearsome attack to launching into the spinners. Watching him hit Simon Harmer into the England dressing room, which was about 20 metres to our right, seemed to symbolise the foot-to-the-floor nature of the England team under him. But it was Folks' ton that was sweetest. After bad luck and selection vagaries, he was superb. And as a Surrey fan exiled to Manchester, it was great seeing one of our heroes taking his opportunity. He may not play a lot. Maybe if he was born in the 60s, he'd have played much, much more. But when he does, he's the best we have behind the stumps. Watching that South Africa attack put to the sword and then finally watching Jimmy Anderson bowl from the Jimmy Anderson end was right up there for me in Test cricket. A game we could have lost and a knock to our new ethos. We ended up comfortable winners down to that partnership. And I met my hero, David Gower, in the stands at Stumps. Pick that one out. I think that's a, that's a great one. Um, and then this is from Tom from Papua New Guinea. Uh, a shortest note to say thank you for the podcast. It's a fantastic extra for me every week. And as a father of three young kids, combined with a few other podcasts to add to a bit of non-work and non-childcare colour between our daily tasks. 
On the cricket side, I'm a regular of Cricket Etc., The Grey Cricketer, and your podcast with Wisden as a favourite among an excellent group of three. Well done. As cricket becomes more inclusive with people like yourselves highlighting and helping to set the agenda on topics like racism in cricket and women in cricket, I'm confident cricket will be something I'll be able to play and enjoy equally with my daughter and sons in the future. Enjoy the Christmas and New Year break. That's um, a lovely email, Matt. It is really email. lovely. Yeah. And the last one is, this is a bit longer, but bear with us because it, it really is quite extraordinary. It shows this guy basically getting into cricket for the first time. Um, I'll start by apologising for what I'm sure is going to be quite a long email. For background, I grew up in an Indian household in the Middle East and was aware of cricket growing up. I remember bowling awful leggies as a 13-year-old before realising the sport just wasn't for me. Fast forward 15 to 20 years, I've since settled in the US and I'm enjoying calling this country my home. I've been here my whole adult life and have learnt about baseball, the other football and how to drive on the right-hand side of the road. Back in 2018, I was working closely with a British colleague called Steve who came into work one day asking if I'd heard about the 481 runs England had scored at Trent Bridge. I was taken with how the normally soft-spoken Steve was buzzing with words such as Bairstow, Hales and Butler and wondered if I would enjoy getting back into watching cricket. Quickly enamoured by how nuanced and engaging the modern game was, it became my primary source of entertainment. I thought many of my friends and colleagues wouldn't be interested in the game, but I found a select few that humoured me who joined in in watch parties I hosted during the 2019 World Cup. I recall many days of finding reasons to work from home so I could replay the prior day's game in the background. I was productive, I promise. My girlfriend, now wife, even carved out our Sunday morning to watch the final together. She really likes Trent Bolt. Somewhere in there, I started listening to the Wisdom podcast. I used to drive a lot for work and needed to listen to something that occupied my mind enough to prevent me from sleeping at the wheel. Thanks to your podcast, I was awakened to the depth, emotion and comedy that our game has to offer. I don't think I would have been privy to the world game if it wasn't for your podcast and y'all have been a (laughs) vital catalyst in turning a hobby into a passion. And now this is the really amazing bit. I recently realised that what it was about your show that I've enjoyed, hence the email. I think it's because the whole lot of you have turned into simultaneous friends and characters of what is my own cricket-related personality. Ben, with the deepest of cuts from the stats, I'm an aerospace engineer and I promise you, he is one of us. Joe, with the common sense we all possess in our proudest moments. Phil, with the same flavour and gusto of romanticism with which I try to explain Basball to my increasingly disinterested wife. Yaz, who simultaneously keeps the show together but still eggs the best bits on when he senses them. And Butch, who manages to regularly string thoughts together that give me that oh wow perspective every couple of minutes. You've gotten me to become a genuine English test fan. I didn't know what a Jennings or a Ducket was a couple of weeks ago, but the team has swept itself into my heart, pun intended. Thank you for showing me not only how wonderful our sport is, but also for showing me that it's a human game with real issues and tough stories. This has all culminated in a a wonderful way. On my wife's encouragement, we booked a trip to Melbourne uh, and intend on being there for the first two days of the Boxing Day test. It's my first ever cricket game in person and i'm thrilled to be going happy holidays thanks moo that is um, lovely that um, is amazing mark that just for the record brilliant. you still give me oh wow moments as well right <laughs> <laughs> oh god i'm mm. not gonna i'm not gonna sleep with you <laughs> <laughs> right 
is this a wrap yes it is a wrap yeah this is it for the year thank you so much to everyone who's emailed in and tweeted in with your moments of the year um, and all your questions etc there's not a break we'll be back next week um, covering whatever cricket is on in the next seven days Uh, cheers Butch cheers Phil cheers Joe this has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast we'll be back in 2023